You're listening to The Real King with Joe and Heidi King. Hey guys, this is Maximus. Today we have a special episode for you and our very first guest, my grandpa and pastor, Pastor Tim. Listen as we talk about some of the many miracles he has been a part of over the years. Now let's get into it. Guess what, you guys? Guess who's here today? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Our special guest. I, I thought you dropped a bag of marbles. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how it stops so abruptly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do that one. <laughs> oh, he can't hear because he doesn't have a. You got to leave it on. Thing. It's. I forgot he didn't have headphones. There we go. Oh, oh it restarted. <laughs> yeah, welcome. So yeah. who, who do we have here today? So today we have a special guest. State your name and date of birth. <laughs> we so, have so Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Tim King. We, we do have to honor this man. He has quite the call on his life. We have people that listen in our area that that may have met him, but we do have quite a few people out of the area mm-hmm. that have heard us reference, you know, different testimonies and stuff like that, that now get to put a voice with the name. Well, and he's not only Pastor Tim King, but today is a Father's Day special episode, yeah. and Tim is actually Joe's father. Yeah. He's and, my father, too. Christina's <laughs> as well. <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And Heidi's father-in-law. Yeah. 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 You guys are so out of the will. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Christina, apparently not by choice. She's been been discarded by Heidi. She's just your best friend. Barely. (laughs) (laughs) Hanging on by a thread. (laughs) So, from behind the pulpit, can you give us your favorite funny story? Oh, Lord. Have mercy. <laughs> That's how you want to start? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't know how funny they would think it was, but um, probably when my wife warned me on several occasions that I should stop running up and down from the platform, mm-hmm. and I didn't listen. So I had a dark blue pinstripe suit on. So I was running back and forth. I run down each side of the building and talk to people and... And then after about the sixth or seventh time, I went down and I slipped off the bottom step and <laughs> oh my gosh, ripped my pants all the way from the crotch oh to the belt loop. <laughs> what color underwear were you wearing? White. <laughs> Always white. He and closes his eyes. White. Like yeah. still <laughs> in shame. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did you excuse yourself? Um, n- no. <laughs> but it was Put hard. his Bible behind it, his butt. It became extremely hard because... Um, there was stuff in the middle, so people came up for prayer, and I'd pray with somebody, and then I'd have back step up to the platform, <laughs> oh move God. over to the other side, go down, pray for somebody over there, back step up on the platform. <laughs> I spent the rest of the night that way. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. So, Tim, how old were you when Joe was born? How old was I when Joe was born? I was uh, quite young. <laughs> He's doing it was math. 1980. Yeah. And I was born in 1951. And you're so. literally 30 years older than me. Yeah. 30 years. So you were 30. And then how old were you when Christina was born? 
35. He's 29 years older than Joe. So that was my turning point about that time. When Joe was born? Yeah. Yeah, he got saved that year. He got. He was born in uh, December, and in January I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. It was, so it was that close. Yeah. Yeah, he comes from a pretty wild background. So when I was thinking about, you know, having you on as a guest, there's quite a bit that we could go into, you know, with just your personal testimony. But I was discussing it with Christina today, and I said we should just go into, like, some of the heavier things, some some that might be a little more controversial um, in, in the modern church, and kind of get into those things, because those are things that this world needs, and um, there's not a lot of people that have been used in their faith by God to do certain things. The Probably one of the biggest ones that has impacted even how I look at things in faith is you've been used on more than one occasion by God to raise the dead. Um, and so we were having a discussion about that today because it's, it's interesting, one, that, that a, a human being can be at that level of faith and then two, um, there's so much that goes into that because of the character of a man, the flesh of a man, the what if, you know, what if I don't get the result, you know, and, and to have somebody that, you know, is not only um, our father, but our pastor and also our mentor and, and somebody that's discipled us that we've got to watch walk in very specific gifts through the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a lot of people listening um, to this podcast that are growing in faith. And I know myself personally, uh, I was just at a funeral, uh, the first one that I've ever been asked to, to speak at. And when Heidi and I walked up by the casket, all I could think is, like, is this a moment where we're supposed to raise the dead? Because this would have been a tremendous testimony for the 150 people that were in the room. And then the thought came to me, you know, am I ready with the message of salvation? If this person is a miracle and raised from the dead, I better be ready to, to look into the eyes of the spectators and say, you've just seen the one true God bring life back into the dead. This is your day of salvation. It's, it's a pretty interesting um, testimony that not everybody has but we're all called to it mm -hmm. yes and one of the things that i thought of while you were speaking is the fact that even jesus had removed people from a room to try to make that happen mm -hmm. because of the uh, heavy doubt and unbelief mm -hmm. and that that's pretty extreme and uh you know he's not the only one even uh smith wigglesworth who was had a reputation of helping people come back from the dead he he also had to remove people before he did it because it, it's it's a very different situation because a lot of people can't handle that you know they don't they don't have the faith to begin with and then when that happens you know it, it it's staggering for the flesh because the bible tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word if they don't have any word then they can't even wrap their mind around the whole concept. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the life of Christ is supposed to be operating as, in us at that level. Yeah. You know, the first, you know, one of the times that that happened, I was, uh, I was stopping at a service station to get a coffee, and it was uh, about 5 o'clock in the morning. And a girl went past me screaming for someone to call 911. Like she was running into the gas station? Yes. Mm-hmm. And when there was two vehicles out there, mine and a truck parked behind me. Well, I had gotten my coffee, and I, I reached over and set it on top of the truck. And the other guy went blasting past me into the station. And the girl ran back out to the vehicle out in the ditch. And I, as I turned, this is hard to put into language for people to understand, but I always used the idea of a, a barn jack. And if anybody knows what they are, they were, when they'd raise a barn up to put a new floor of uh, concrete underneath it, something on that order, they would, those jacks would work at one click at a time, and they'd put, have them all around the building. One click at a time, they could raise that whole building up off the ground. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was the, that type of a jack. I turned, and I was elevated as I was turning. And as I began to walk out toward the vehicle, I knew in my mind, in my intellect, I was elevated into a different spiritual realm. Hmm. And I walked out to the vehicle, and I got around to the driver's side, and a a young man, he was in his 20s, he was slumped over the steering wheel. He had really long hair down his back, and his arms were dangling toward the floor. And I checked for vitals, and I didn't find any. I set him up in the seat, and I had my hand right in his hair, holding him up. Yeah, you were pretty aggressive. Yes. And I, when I first started speaking to him, I, I uh, cast the spirit of death off him, and nothing happened. Uh, but then I got aggressive. And Was I, his sister back? Was she, like, watching this happen? Yes. Yeah, there was yes. other people that pulled over by this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I wasn't noticing any of them. Right. There, there might have been 20 to 25 vehicles around by the time it mm. descended. And it was all very quick. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know any of those people had stopped. She had come back to the truck on the passenger side, and she was in that side staring at me. So, I, you know, I, the second time I, I got very authoritative, and I, I just screamed at him, you know, the devil, to get out of his body and loose him from the spirit of death. And his eyes opened up, and he looked at me, and then... I thought it was a done thing, and all of a sudden his eyes rolled back in his head and he slumped. And I had to straighten him back up in the seat, and this time I slammed my hand on his chest, and then I was screaming at him, you know, to come out of that. And, you know, I was using the name of Jesus, cursing the spirit of death, and speaking life into him. And then next time he sat up real straight on his own, he looked at her, and then he turned around and looked at me, looked back at her, and he said, what's going on? And at that time, I had stepped back, and then the ambulance had gotten there, and I didn't even know it. And two guys come down there, and they were pulling rubber gloves onto their hands. And the uh, one driver said to me, he said, what's going on here? And I said, he was once dead, and now he's alive. And I stepped back, and he said, we'll take over. And he stepped in, and about that time, the guy just vomited everywhere, all over the dash and the steering, and the steering wheel and everything. Mm-hmm. And I bet you he got a deliverance. 
Yeah, I believe that's what had yeah. taken place. Yeah. And I heard the driver, you know, the ambulance people talking between them, and they, one asked the other one, where are we going to go? And he said, uh, one of them said, let's go to Luther, it's closer. So at that point, I walked around the truck, and then she turned around and it came around and met me at the front of the truck. And she said, I want you to know he's HIV positive. She said, please pray for him. I said, I will. Hmm. And then I walked away. And I got in my vehicle and went to work. And later... <laughs> what a weird day. Yeah. You stopped to get coffee and yeah. Clorette's gum. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he always chewed those <laughs> He square. always chewed Clorette's gum. And <laughs> we, we do laugh right now because we've been... This has been our normal. Yeah. Right, like, but I just can't around get this. around. Like, he's like, yeah, so I just went to work. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a weird day. I might have missed this in the beginning. But did... So... When you felt the elevation, like how you explained it with the barn jack. Yeah. When you heard that, the, so did you, I, m I missed this in the beginning. Did you hear her say that her, like her brother was dead or? No, I just, so, checked, I just checked him myself. So, so you didn't know that until you got there. Right. So yeah. you already you felt already a state of elevation before mm -hmm. you even knew what you were walking into. That is interesting. Yeah. This guy was, he was driving down the interstate uh, went into the median ditch nose first. Mm -hmm. So his sister, who was the passenger, who couldn't get a response out of him, ran through two or three lanes of traffic across the service road into the service station parking lot screaming for help. We There wasn't, like, not everybody had a cell phone then. Right. And if you did, Most it was probably didn't. like the Nokia brick. like the. the I think it was even before that. It might have been, probably yeah. like, I was probably like, 12 or 13 when it happened yeah that's just so interesting to me that you had like a very divine moment before you even knew what you're what you're walking into yeah the preparation of the holy spirit that's crazy right. to the me atmosphere. that's awesome because you didn't hear like a, a audible voice or anything other than like it was an automatic response and then like the right? idea of the the barn jack click i remember one time you saying it was like every step you took even though you were walking down towards the road, it was like your, like your spirit or your body was elevated, like you weren't touching the ground. Right. You know, and that could be um, literally uh, God was taking your spirit into a, an atmosphere of, of righteousness and holiness in order to operate. These signs shall follow those that believe. So... I also think it's interesting that it was three times because a lot of the stories in the Bible, things are done in threes. So that's interesting that he came back on the third time. Yeah. And then he, then he ended up getting taken into the hospital. And they, uh, it was about 9 or 9.30 in the morning when I uh, finally got a break. And I, I went to a payphone and I called the hospital. And I said I wanted to uh, talk to a nurse at ER. Mm -hmm. And she said, what do you need? And I said, I want to check on a young man that was brought in there at 5 o'clock this morning by ambulance. And she said, are you a relative? And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, well, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you. I said, look, I was there this morning, and I prayed for him and uh, prayed him back to life. And she said, oh, you're the guy? And I wow. said, yeah. And then she told me everything I wanted to know. Wow. And uh, she told me his name, his phone number, and his address and everything. Wow. Because he had been released. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't even in the hospital at that time. No. Yeah, they checked him out. They couldn't find anything wow. wrong. He went, f didn't he go fishing? Yeah, he took the day off. He was <laughs> supposed to be at work. But 
once he once he uh, got everything taken care of, he went fishing. Yeah. Because I called the house and I, I wanted to talk to him and I asked if he was there and the lady answered the phone and said, no, he's not here. And I said, oh, I said, well, I wanted to talk to him. I said, I prayed for him this morning and she said, oh, you're the guy? And I said, yeah. And, and she told me all about how good he was feeling and everything and he felt so good he decided to go fishing instead of the work. But I've uh, never talked to the man. I'd never mm-hmm. had no contact with him after that. That morning... Were you feeling spiritual? No. Like, had no. you had you done anything up until that point? Like, was, like you weren't prayed up, right? Like, uh, you were. Well, just, I was praying on the, on the way to work. Like normal. Yeah. Yeah. How long? Do you remember how long this happened after you got saved? Was it a while or was it a long time? Yeah. Yeah, it was quite a while. I was I was like sixteen. You were sixteen. Yeah. 16 okay. Or eighteen? Eighteen, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because you were like twelve, so I was like eighteen. Yeah. And is that the first experience of the raising the dead? Um, was that guy? Yeah, in that you, type of thing. You guys yeah. seen some crazy stuff in Haiti, though, when you and Grandpa went with Mother Beulah. Because um, you guys seen mu- food multiplied. Yeah, we've seen that. Um, I, I think the, the most, uh, you know, I would say close to that was I got a call at 2 in the morning one time, and uh, a lady was crying and she asked if I'd come you know and help her and when I uh, I knew who, who they were I knew where they lived because somebody going to the church with us lived across the road from them and that's the only conduction I had but I it was about two in the morning and I jumped in the car and I took off and it was about 25 or 30 miles to get there and I pulled in their yard and I I didn't knock on the door or anything you know, I knew she was desperate, so I, I just went up and let myself in. And he was sitting at the table, and she was covered down in a corner in another room with their daughters, and they were all crying. And he had gotten to a point unbeknown to him. You know, he he didn't know he did it, but he was making uh, advances and things like that. Because he was... Yeah, on his in, own children, because he was well, so he was intoxicated. intoxicated. Yes, he, he had drank a bottle of vodka and maybe maybe more um and he he was in real bad shape but you know at that point i i didn't try to talk to him or nothing i just uh the one thing i remember about him is how bristly his hair was <laughs> it was like like sticking your hand into the you know into Carlos's hair. Okay. <laughs> One of those little little uh, shoe-cleaning things outside the door on the step. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I, I just walked straight to him. He was sitting at the table in the kitchen, and, and I drove my hands right down into his hair, and I just started casting the devil out of him. And uh, he, he tried to stand up, and I slammed him back down in the chair, and then he... You know, I just kept cleaning the blood of Jesus over and casting the devil out, and pretty soon he started coming up again. I pushed him back down into the chair. Then he started growling, and this white slime stuff started coming out of his mouth, and he tried to bite me, and I kept a good, solid grip, and I just kept commanding that thing to come out of him, that spirit of alcoholism. And, you know, and then there was a point when he just got relaxed and then he started crying and I had a voice say to me don't accept that spirit of sympathy and I I said nope 
nope, you're not getting away with it. You're coming out of there. Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus, you're coming out. And <clears throat> So he was manifesting that way. Like he yeah. he put on that he was crying. Well, so the that, spirit that, did. That spirit was trying yeah, to manipulate. manipulate the flesh, mm-hmm. like your, your compassion yeah. mm-hmm. and your mercy. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't done yet. So, uh, you know, I, ju- I just kept on. And then when it was done, I knew it was. I had a witness from God that it was done. And he went so limp. And when he stood up, he was totally sober. Yeah. Just like he had never had a drink. Wow. And his... <clears throat> Dad's tenderhearted. Now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> That's the the importance of having... The compassion, everything Christ did, he was moved by compassion. Mm-hmm. So when we look at somebody, it would be pretty easy to be like, oh, this sick individual advancing his own daughters, drunken stupor, lock them up, throw away the key. But when you have, you know, the discernment of the Holy Spirit um, and the ability to step into that situation in authority. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing, too, is you have to be an authority. Otherwise, you'd you'd never, you'd be so overwhelmed by the circumstance that you wouldn't be able to hear the voice of God in those situations. Well, uh, when when, uh, that happened, I looked over at her, and she was still crying, but it was more like a cry of relief Relief. and joy, Yeah, Yeah. you know. And uh, it it was kind of crazy. I was standing in front of him, face to face with him. I said, do you have any more alcohol in the house? He said, yeah. I said, what are you going to do with it? He said, I'm going to dump it out. And he just stood there. I said, what are you going to do with it? He <laughs> said, I'm, I'm going to dump it out. Now I got mad. He wasn't moving. And I said, what are you going to do with it? And he <laughs> says, if you get out of my way, I'm going to go get it and dump it off. <laughs> you were... He ran his way. His yeah. fight, like, his fight, <laughs> like the little bit of consciousness he had when he was under the oppressive nature yeah. of that spirit was probably like, this guy is going to take my head off. <laughs> you know, you did the same yeah. thing with me the night I got delivered. Okay. Can I ask a... Made me go through and find all alcohol in the house. And you weren't even with me. You were on the phone. Yeah. And I had to go through and dump all that out. You said, don't think of any... Uh, value to that, whether it be financial or anything, the money you spent on it, don't give it to friends. You don't want to give that curse to somebody else because it's wrecked your life. Right. So you have experiences of casting the spirit of alcoholism off of people. Correct. And then you had a son that was full-blown alcoholic. (laughs) So I feel like some people might be thinking, well, why didn't he just cast that spirit off of his own kid? But with deliverance, like... Does there have to be a level of his submission? Like, what yeah. was the difference between that gentleman and Joe, for example? Do you know what I mean? Well, let's take God out of it for a moment. Mm-hmm. Just take God out. Okay. There's a lot of people that struggle trying to get their kids to come into submission. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the problem is. Yeah. You you could take a total stranger and have them accept it quicker. Yeah. Than you would your own flesh. Because it's like a different level of respect. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yep. Well, so Jesus the, Jesus addressed this too. He said, uh, sometimes you go and you drive a spirit out of out of its home. It goes away into a deserted, dry place. It finds no comfort. And it says, let me return to my home. 
and it'll come back. And Jesus said, you will find the man of worse condition than you found him in the first place because it'll come in with seven spirits stronger than itself. And when you, when you have somebody that's not ready, that's like you, you watch people that struggle and they go through like 12-step programs, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're doing, they're trying to kick a spiritual tied principality out of their life with fleshly weapons. You just showed up to a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. To a certain degree, because even 12-step programs tell you right. you have to get have in to touch a with a higher power. power. Right. Because there's a, a but they recognition, also, regardless of what people say, there's an innate recognition yeah. that there's a power greater than ourselves yeah. at work. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've had, I have friends that have been very successful doing it that way, but they'll still tell you they're an alcoholic. Right, they, that's part they of the program. carry a title. Mm-hmm. Myself, I wouldn't <laughs> tell you that because that's not my identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. He's given me, I'm a new creation. He's given me a new identity. So I think for me, I was at a point where it was life or death. If I wouldn't have quit right then, I'd already been told by medical professionals that I'd done irreversible damage. So I know that my next step was eternal damnation. So for me, it was it was... It was a one and done. And when you look at that situation, that was so different. Like Pastor just ran into that woman. And this is this has been almost thirty years. And he had a conversation with her. You know, and he was he was still, you know, sharing they like they don't attend church together. They don't they don't have a relationship, so to speak, mm-hmm. other than in passing. And how you know, I think about how tremendous is that to like come come together for a moment in a, a Walmart or a, a Menards or wherever it was at and have this conversation about the Lord 30 years later after her life was given back to her um, for, a, for a time. Because that man, he did end up, after all his children had grown up, he ended up, I think, becoming an alcoholic again. Well, he did, and you know, it, he was delivered. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, um, a, quite a time later, um, somebody was dabbling with uh, inner healing, untrained, mm. untrained, mm-hmm. and they started digging into his past, trying to minister to him. Mm. And from that point on, it got worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And he ended up going back to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they should have messed with that. Yeah. He was clean. He was <laughs> yeah. doing excellent. You know, he, he even helped start building a church. You know, and Don't you think that's like human nature? Because God's like, I delivered you. It's done. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. You're, yeah. you're delivered completely. But human nature is, well, we need to unpack why you became an al- alcoholic in the first place. Yeah. yeah. You know? I've, I've actually watched multiple like studies on inner healing. Mm-hmm. And that was like the number one thing is they say, make sure the Holy Spirit is leading you to tap into what tragic moment you need to uncover because not everyone needs to be uncovered. No, so for yeah. that example, that one was done, passed, gone, God did it. Something else that he was possibly going through could have been a tragic moment that needed God to come into that moment and have healing in that moment. But this man did an example where he was in a session with these two people and they were having very bad marital problems. 
something completely unrelated, all of a sudden, the guy that was leading it, the Holy Spirit said, ask him about his mother. Mm. Nobody was even talking about the mother. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he heard that from the Holy Spirit. And the man said, "What? tell me the story about your mother. And the guy got real upset, real angry, kind of cried a little bit. And he was like, no. And he was like, well, she left you on the side of a road. And as soon as he said those words, the man just broke into a million pieces. And then the Holy Spirit continued to like give him exactly what happened to this gentleman. At that moment of tragedy, that started him on the path of completely being violent with his wife. Hmm. And it wasn't all of those other things that like, you know, that it wasn't like a violence issue. It wasn't an anger issue. You know what I mean? That he had to address and try to unpack. It was a very specific route that needed to be identified. And once that was pulled, they didn't, they never came. It was complete. It was complete at that session Mm -hmm. right there. That the idea that you have zero control over anything because you're abandoned. And now all of a sudden you find an access control in your marriage through abuse, violence, mm-hmm. um, you know, controlling words, whatever. And then, you know, a lot of people would probably try and dance around all the, all the potholes in your life when a lot of times it really is like a seed planted. Uh, the enemy has been doing this for thousands of years. He's been deceiving for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit is because we need supernatural ability to be able to withstand the toils of the enemy. Yeah. It says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. So, Dad, when you were doing either of those things, and you have other stories too, but did you did you have any moments where you your faith faltered or like you started to second guess or like... No, once, once I stepped into it, there was no nothing like that. It was a complete done deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said in the beginning, when I turned away from my truck there was an elevation that took place and i knew that i was walking in the spirit at that moment mm-hmm. you know it's hard to put into words for people to really grasp but you know when we read the bible and it's very clear that we walk with christ in us and a lot of times when people think of jesus you know they think of jesus christ and too many times people think that's his last name. No, Luke, in Luke, Peter said, this, when Jesus asked him, he said, who do people say that I am? Well, he was asking all the disciples, and they all had answers. But he turned to Peter and he said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ of God. Yeah, You're the Christ of God. That's the best answer right there. It's the anointing of God that was in him. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, I'm the firstborn of many to be like me. And a person has to grasp that thought that it is the anointing of God. You got it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And you have to accept it. And you have to, Joe just spoke about identity. You have to identify with God. And that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. When we have the anointing, we have the anointing. If we don't, we don't. But you have to have it. Well, the only way to survive. You know, you started out by talking about this as Father's Day thing, you know. And I had no 
religious background, no spiritual background. I mean, you, nothing you identified with. You know, you you were spiritually, we're all spirit beings, but you know, wrapped in flesh. But you don't identify with them when you're living a normal life in the flesh on this world, and people don't realize that they are, you know, a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. You know, and God gave us a spirit to live. He gave us a men, in, men, mind, an intellect to think mm-hmm. with and make choices, and then he gave us a body to house it all in. Those are three powerful things. And when you, when you grasp the thought that you're a spiritual being, I can't tell you the number of people I haven't spoken to that I, I say to them, do you realize how you're made? Do you re- even realize that? You're a spirit being wrapped in flesh with a mind to make choices that you can either choose to serve God or choose not to. You know, when you get that revelation, you step into a different realm. You know, you're, you're more of a spirit person than you are flesh and blood. Now, my dad, you know, I love my parents. I, I, and I always put it this way. In all their ignorance, they were good people. They were nothing. They were turned toward God at, at no point until my mother's deathbed. Then she turned to God mm-hmm. in the last few days of her life. But other than that, nobody you know, in the family. But I always say this, when, when I was a kid, I, I was, um, we, we had a barn and a milk house and then a silo off of that. And we had a small farm. But one of my biggest things about it was when we knew it was wrapping up and it was time to go to the house, I'd go up in the haymow and I'd stand in the haymow and wait for my dad to come and pass by going to the house. And as soon as he got to me, he'd look up, and I'd jump. And I just knew he was going to catch me, you know. And, you know, by the time I was 16, he quit. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when I was a kid, you know, I, I, I just had all the faith in the world that I could bail out of there. And I was scared of heights. But I'd do it just because I knew he was going to catch me. That's like the second story of a barn. Yeah. 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 And, you know, when I gave my life to Christ, you know, I started thinking, now this is my father. Mm-hmm. This is my father. And no matter what happens to me, I can jump. Mm. And yeah. I know he's going to catch me. Come on. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if I'm a full-grown adult. Now I'm in a spiritual realm where I'm supposed to be. And I, I could take the leap that he wants me to take. And I'm going to be caught. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- that that plays into it, too. You when you when you you stay within proximity to God, you're you're constantly in communication with Him. That also helps with the. I don't even want to say confidence to step out in those areas. You you have a track record of of consistency with God, like you you've heard His voice, you know His voice because you talk to Him all the time, and then you wait for Him to answer. So you know the consistency in that he always shows up. He showed up with your mother on, in her last days, which kind of um, pushed you from this state of zero spirituality uh, in faith. But, but, I mean, you were, you were raised in kind of a darkness, so it kind of propelled you out of that to seek more, and you kind of did it with an attitude. Of like, if if this evil thing killed my mother, who I loved dearly, surely there's got to be a way to counter it. And then you gave your life to the Lord, and then you went through a, an actual um, 
kind of a tough process because you wanted the the authority, the power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he made you go through a waiting period where you had to you had to humble yourself and and you were a prideful guy, you were a fist fight and uh came out of the military all buff and lifting weights. So your your physical um prideful showing to the world was was this this persona of, of a tough guy and and what God did with you in process is he humbled you and, and had you on your face. And it wasn't until um you had been consistently on your face begging for him to to fill you that he actually did was was there ever times during that process where your flesh got in and you're like this isn't going to happen well that that was early on um when i started turning to god you know the the pride was kicked in pretty strong but you know after watching things take place and it wasn't no big arena. There was no thousands of people around. It was just a small group. Mm-hmm. In a house, of, right? Yeah, about mm-hmm. nine people. But that, even at that, you know, when you're in that state, you know, you don't want to go in front of people or anything like that. But I'll tell you, when I looked around, and no matter where I looked, everything looked bad. You know, I had three brothers. I got all divorces in a year. My mother was dying of cancer, you know, and... My dad was a serious alcoholic. Um, you know, financially we weren't doing well. Um, our marriage wasn't doing well. You know, you had a son born with cerebral palsy. Yes, yes, and uh, doctors said that he'd probably stay in a wheelchair most of his life and probably not live long. And there was all bad reports everywhere you looked. And finally, I just said to myself, "If there be, you know." If there really be a God, I'm going to give my life to him to get even with the devil. Mm. And, you know, because, I, you know, it was too evident that something was wrong. You that's, know, that's every, everywhere you look, mm-hmm. everywhere you look, it's it's wicked. And that's what drove me to it. God's like, I can work with that. He's like, this is a, this <laughs> I can work with that. I like, just need a willing participant. This, this is a verbal contract. Yeah. You are now entered into covenant, and mm-hmm. we know what happens to people that break covenant with God. Yeah. You know, Samson, he, he, he was reconciled, but it was at his death. Mm-hmm. And it gave him an honorable mention in, in Hebrews 11. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty powerful to make a, like a, a demand on the creator of the universe like that. But I guess after you do that, you know, a lot of people quit praying all or nothing prayers for their kids, like the whatever it takes God prayers, because they're afraid that God's going to show up and it's going to cost life. Well, there, there's always some cost takes place. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you, you first asked me that question, my thought went back because... Um, when I when I started seeking God, um, I I I had a quite an experience just getting there. And now my wife, she, she's baptized in the Holy Ghost at nine years old, and you know she was in a, a Christian home. I was 180 from there. You know I was like a torment right. to her mother when I came in, and you know I mean she said with gritted teeth and bulging eyes a couple of times to me, please get away from my daughter. She couldn't handle it, you know. Her dad was more composed. He, 
you know, every time I w went to pick her up, he had a Bible open ready to minister. And, uh, you know, and to get her out of the house, I had to sit there and listen. It, it, you know, <laughs> and eventually, you know, these seeds take root and you don't even know it's taking place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when I started looking for God, you know, it got to the point where I, I wanted him more than I, I wanted life. And I, 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 when he started opening up an altar at call and, you know, there's only nine people in the room. But he was preaching like there was a thousand. And then he'd open up the altar like he's waiting for 500 of them to come. And I was the only one that was a sinner in the place. <laughs> like you knew it was you. That's the importance of showing up when you're in ministry. Because you can't treat it like, well, why even bother? Yeah. The one matters. I, I just started going to the altar. And I finally just had this moment where I said, I don't care who's looking. I don't care what people think. I need him. Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I started going. And man, I, there was times... When I'd bawl until there wasn't a tear in my face anymore, I, I couldn't bring a tear out. And I'd be curled up in a ball on the floor in front of the pulpit. And by the way, I built a pulpit trying to work my way in. <laughs> yeah, you buy your way into heaven? I only found myself laying on the floor in front of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, humbled and, and, you know. It's because, I mean, at that point, you like, I'm sure you didn't know what else to do. So you're like, well... I'm able-bodied. I know how to do this thing. I'm, I'm a gonna, woodworker. I'm a craftsman. Yeah, I'm just going to give whatever I have at this point, right? Yes. I, I was crack up because the, the pictures from when Dad got baptized, he had a T-shirt, like a 70s T-shirt that said, Out to Lunch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then he had his pack of Marlboros. <laughs> Not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if they're a thing anymore. Uh, he had a pack of cigarettes in his front shirt pocket, and like he took them out of his pocket, handed them to Grandma, who was the bulging eyes, gritted teeth, yeah, get yeah, out of my was, daughter's life. I, th I think I was somewhat in the spirit then. <laughs> yeah, you, you were Just not thinking. You, you, that was your first standoff with death, right there. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I? Whenever you talk about smoking i always think of the story that you told because god delivered you from cigarettes and you smoked a lot, a lot. you say like four packs a day yeah. which is like did, did that's he, like a ridiculous amount yeah, but didn't you have to wake up in the middle of the night to smoke mm -hmm. yes. that's crazy so but there was a time so you got delivered you when you were baptized in correct. water correct but then <clears throat> out of habit not even like maybe compulsion is a better word yes you we're at Grandpa King's house because it was like a camaraderie thing, right? While we're sitting here talking, having coffee, you have a cigarette. It was like a natural compulsion. Exactly. And you you did that, and what happened? Well, I went down to my dad's house because I was working on a carburetor, a four-barrel carburetor, rebuilding it for a car. Mm -hmm. And I had all of it on his kitchen table. And... uh we did everything on that table. And Butchered I, deer. Yeah. <laughs> Clean fish. <laughs> so I, I was sitting there and and now I got to back up just a second because when I, I got baptized that night, uh, I was standing in that tank. And then the only thing I knew about the Bible is I read Romans 1 numerous times. Mm -hmm. And that chapter it is so important, you know, this is how I say it myself. That's our entrance to the blood covenant. If you want to be in it, you have to die first. So I'm standing there in the tank, and I'm 
but just in my spirit, I'm talking to God, and I'm saying, I'm, I'm going to die tonight. I'm not coming back. I'm going to go down, and I'm dying. I'm, the only way I'll come back is in your, your spirit, newness of life, in you. Now, the people around me were all cheering and happy that I was getting baptized, but I was very serious about it. Mm-hmm. And I went into baptism, and when I come back up, she handed me my cigarettes back when I got out of the t- tank, you know. And I thought, that's crazy. I thought she would have destroyed them by now. And I, I carried them out, you know. But I didn't have a desire to smoke a cigarette. Now, the reason I smoked so much was I drove truck. And you couldn't light a cigarette with a match in a truck that didn't have air conditioning because you had to have the windows down. Mm-hmm. So when one cigarette was out, I just laid off that one and started another one, you know. Wow. And like Heidi said, you know, I'd get a tickle in my throat at night, and I wanted to get rid of it. The only way I could is get set up and smoke a cigarette or two, and then it'd quit, and I'd go back to sleep. And then it'd happen again. I'd do the same routine. So I smoked at night. I smoked all day long, and it, it was a serious, serious addiction. Now, I will say this, that when my mother went through her experience, I went to see her. And I was still very ignorant in spiritual realms at this point. I, was, I, I didn't have any spiritual education at this point. And I went up to the hospital to see her, and I walked into the room, and uh, she was suffering really bad. And I stood over the top of her, looking down at how bad she looked. And I said, I would take what she's got if she could be at peace. Mm. And shortly after that, I had a lump start in my throat. Mm. And it grew and it grew. And I never said anything because, you know, in my mind, I was scared that I did have that cancer because that's where her started from smoking. Mm-hmm. But it got so bad that sometimes I just swallow my own saliva and it hurt so bad. And <clears throat> I believe there was a transfer that the mm-hmm. devil made obvious yeah that night when i stood there and made that statement yeah you made like a word covenant kind of yeah 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 you gotta quit walking around making <laughs> contracts with people so <laughs> when that happened i i was living with that right up until i got baptized when i got come up out of that water the first thing i noticed was i could swallow with no issue wow that mm. lump was gone and then I didn't have a desire to smoke. I didn't have no cravings at all. But mom still did, right? Yeah. She, she but was, you, she wasn't smoking at the time. She'd quit, right? But she wasn't instantly delivered. No. Okay. No, she she said one time, why didn't God deliver me like he did you? And I said, <laughs> did you ask? <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when, when, when that took place, I... I, I noticed instantly that was gone, mm-hmm. and then the cravings were gone, and I could walk through a crowd of people smoking, and I never had a, a desire one. It was, God just delivered me of it totally, 100%. And, you know, prior to that, people had asked me, are you ever going to quit smoking? I'd tell them, no, I'm not going to. You know, I don't want to, because I watched other people try and they turn into evil people, mm-hmm. and I'm, I said, I'm not going to do that to myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but when I got baptized, God took it totally, 100%. Mm. 
That's awesome. And then, you know, along with that, there was, I didn't need any preaching. I didn't need anybody telling me. But the moment that happened, my my vocabulary was one of the worst in the world. And, uh, you know, I was just loaded with four-letter words, and I used them for fillers every time I opened my mouth. Mm. And there was absolutely no desire to use them anymore. It was gone, totally annihilated. So and after, it, sorry, after you were delivered like that, though, and then you found yourself in that situation where out of habit, just going through the motions, you picked up a cigarette and lit it. Yeah, I did. And uh, when I was working Like at not the even table. thinking about it, right? No. Right. No. And the moment I did it, the moment I got it lit and I pulled it out of my mouth, a voice spoke to me and said, why? I just delivered you. Mm. I put that thing out. But the spirit of God got so heavy in the room, I was driven to my face on the table. Wow. I just think of how many times people have done that out of compulsion or like out of literally it, physical habit. It happened to me with chewing tobacco after yeah. I got delivered. For some reason, I pulled it out and I felt like God left me for like three weeks. I panicked. I felt like I was going to die. Oh. I I had been completely delivered of panic attacks and all of a sudden for like three weeks. I, and then that deer hunting season, I sat up in a stupid tree and all I could think about was chewing tobacco. And I thought, man, this, this was way more spiritual than it was physical. Mm. But I, that was the one time and I spit it out immediately. And then we went to move a barrel and about f there had to be at least a thousand snakes in that barrel. Sick. There was a snake nest. All these little baby snakes just flooded out like water running over there. And the biggest one chased me, and Andrew and I had to kill it with a garden hoe. What? Yeah, and I, th I was literally like running. Like I've never been one to freak out run from something like that. I was running with the thought of like this is the actual devil himself <laughs> trying to get me. It was the worst experience ever. You're like, I'm out here in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> And this thing is chasing me. There were hundreds of them. But I, when I, I just think that's so interesting that like, or it, it's the familiarity too. Like God mm. delivers you and then you still go back out with your friends to the bar because, well, how yeah. else are you going to socialize? So you pick it back up. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, he's saying, what are you doing? Yeah. He's like, I brought you out so you could bring them out. And now you're going in there. Right. Right. Didn't that happen once with alcohol as well? Oh, well, union meeting. That that um, I will I will say this though before I move over there mm -hmm. was um, when I was face down on that table, and the spirit of the Lord was hovering over me. I finally felt it lift the room, mm. and when I sat up, my dad standing in a doorway of another room, <laughs> staring, <laughs> speechless. Wow. <laughs> he had nothing to say, and then he. Slowly turned and walked away. Wow! <laughs> you probably thought that was you know, so you know what strange. I love is where I jumped in there was because you got quiet because the Holy Spirit hit you and you teared up, and the the reverence for God in that moment, even though it was thirty years ago, yeah, is as strong today yeah. as it was thirty years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's mind blowing to me. And Heidi, what did you say about? Didn't you have a situation like that, too, with alcohol? Oh, yeah, you were going to nurse a beer. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was coming to the Lord, and I was really fighting a battle. I did, you know, you go through crazy thoughts. You think, how am I going to do this? All these people look at me as a a leader because, I, you know, I, I was in a business where I took it down on strike, and we'd gained extreme benefits and wages and stuff. And everybody was looking up to me, you know, because, uh, you know, I I gained them a lot. And I thought, how am I going to do this, you know? And then they called a meeting, a mandatory meeting, and I, I didn't want to go. And I told the manager, I said, I, I, I can't go. He said, everybody's going to be there. Now, you, you you were the union rep yeah. for the entire company in, right. the, in this branch. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I was forced to go. And I got in the car, and I just kept saying to myself, now this was before I was saved. I kept saying to myself, I'm, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I just kept slamming myself all the way there. And I stepped in the door, and a guy that was probably, you know, him and I raised more issues <laughs> together, and he was sitting on a stool right inside the door he was your co-conspirator yeah <laughs> and mm-hmm. as soon as i stepped through that door he slaps me in the chest and i threw my hands up and he drops a beer in my hands and i thought i don't want this i don't want the drink you know and every eye in the place is on me hey come on here come on in. and they're all happy you know mm-hmm. and i'm i'm fighting this war so i popped it open and i was there for probably close to four hours and at four hours, I think I had at least a half a can left. And I just thought, you know, I'll hang on to that one so nobody can offer me another one. Well, by the time I left, I probably had two drinks left in it. But, oh, my Lord, I got so sick. I got mm-hmm. so sick. And I'd never been that sick before. And there was a, I had these dry heaves, and I even... Once I was sitting on the edge of the toilet, over, uh, on the edge of the tub over the toilet, and I, I just kept wrenching and wrenching and wrenching. And, and you know, I, I thought, God, just let me die. And he says, I'm letting you feel what it's like without me in the universe. Wow. <laughs> I said, I got it. <laughs> I really understand, yeah. you know. And it was like a separation thing. You yeah. Know? You, you, he says, it's my goodness that holds everything together in the first place, and you, you're testing me, you know. Yeah. And uh, I never did drink again. I never drank. And then when I got delivered to tobacco and I had that one incident, I never picked up another cigarette in my life. You know, you know, I've had women especially come to me and say, you know, I, I've quit drinking or, I've, you know, I've had this prompting by the Holy Spirit to give those things up and then they end up in a situation where they're with like their their mom and their sisters in in a wine tasting or something like that or something that was planned for months before um, God spoke into their life and then they end up in a situation like that and it's 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 an awful situation to be in but God will you know, if if we if we stay the path and and we we make our mind up that it's him or nothing, um, he'll give us the courage. He'll give us the 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 tools necessary to be successful in that. 
but it, it is amazing. Um, there was a couple that you had done a lot of counsel with that are now um, kind of in their own ministries and, and stuff like that. And Heidi and I were just talking with them uh, a couple months ago. And we had mentioned somebody that kind of went out for one last final fling with the world. And it didn't, it didn't pan out for them. It, it, it took them out uh, spiritually. And they looked at each other. Like looked they at, fell away? Yeah, they fell away. Oh, okay. And they looked at each other, looked at us, and they, they have a, an ongoing list. What was it, like five or six people? Mm-hmm. And they said, we've actually went, made a covenant agreement with each other that no matter what, we'll never have one last fling with a drink or whatever because they've watched five or six people die. Yeah, like physically die. They've either went out for that one last fling and ended up in an auto collision, or they've went out for that one last fling and they got so depressed and upset with, with their fall and, and the feeling that God had left them and got to a place where they felt they're unforgivable that they took their own life. But you know, the, the, the sad part is uh, people never get to the point of knowing God. And in First John, it tells us that God is love. God is love. And nobody has that capability except for through him to have that type of love. You have to have that spirit on the inside of you. But if you get a taste of it, you know that there's nobody out there that compares to that. Nobody else out there loves you like God does. And if you don't come to him and give your spirit, soul, and body to him that he can work through it, you'll never experience the type of love you need. You have to come to him. There's no other place to go. When I got delivered of alcohol and tobacco and everything, I already had kids, and I lined them up on the couch one night, and I was weeping, and I apologized. For everything they had to experience up to that point. And I apologized, and I said, I'll never let you suffer like that again. And through God's grace, they never did. There was no alcohol, no tobacco in the house. Nothing. And uh, my father was ministering to me, and I ministered to my kids. And uh, if this is about Father's Day, I would say that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, Pastor Tim... Dad, PT we, Cruiser. we love you and we are so blessed to be a part of your lineage and the legacy that you have been uh, putting forth on this earth and really appreciate you stepping in today and letting us kind of pick your brain. I know we're going to have to do some follow-ups where maybe we get into some other testimonies. I, I, did. I, I definitely want to do an episode where you tell your testimony because yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, tell your testimony for one. And for two, like even the ones in Haiti, like where you got to actually see God um, uh, multiply food uh, mm-hmm. for for hundreds of people, mm-hmm. that's pretty intense too. I, I just about cry every time I think about it. So yeah. He tells that testimony at least like once a month. I do. To different people. I do. Mm-hmm. Because people don't, they think it's unattainable to have that kind of loaves and fishes faith. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just being in the right place at the right time and being obedient. Well, the Bible tells us that God gives more grace to the humble 
and that's the main thing people have to keep in mind. He doesn't work with a prideful mm-hmm. spirit. He just doesn't, and he has to be leading. So we have to humble ourselves before him. So if people keep that verse in mind, you know, that God gives more grace, more ability, more power to the humble, uh, that helps. You know, what comes to mind is the Father's blessing. And, you know, you see with like Jacob and Esau and the the importance of a Father's blessing and how it was so valuable that they would actually try and, someone would try and steal it. Yeah. And... There's a lot of people that their earthly father maybe did a poor job or wasn't present that wouldn't uh, understand or have a good definition of a, of a heavenly father because of what their earthly father did. Um, I was just going to ask you, Pastor, if, if, if it'd be all right with you, if you'd just pray a quick father's blessing over our listeners. Come on. That mm-hmm. you would... Father God, we just come before you right now, and Lord, I just thank you, because we, there are people all over this world that suffer trying to make a connection between their earthly father and the goodness and the grace that you would show. And Father, I just pray for every person that they will turn their undivided attention to you and call out to you, Father, that you would reach down and touch each one of them that do that minister to their souls, minister to their spirits, and draw them nigh unto you. But Lord, you also said in the word, if we turn to you, that you draw nigh to us. And Father, I just pray that for every person that's listening, that they will take the time to bow down before you, ask your presence to come to them, and I know you will meet them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I just start bawling. <laughs> I know. But the Holy Spirit's so hard on that. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. We are so blessed to have the privilege to share with you. If you haven't already, please connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching at The Real King Podcast. That's at T H E Real King Podcast. The Real King Podcast is recorded in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. It is hosted by Joe and Heidi King, who are joined each week by Christina Santamaria as a moderator and contributor. It is produced and edited by Joe and Heidi King and Carlos and Christina Santamaria. All content is under copyright and all rights are reserved.